everyone, and welcome to Breaking the Stigmas, a weekly podcast where we take a deep dive into the world of mental health and disabilities. My name is Drew, and I'm joined once again by my lovely co-host, Katie. Hello, hello. Drew and I both, like so many, have our unique set of challenges and perspectives. We realize that we have the opportunity to shed some light on these challenges and open the floodgates into the world of disability. And when we come back, uh, this week's topic that we are going to discuss is medical gaslighting and how it needs to stop already. This podcast is powered by Riverside FM. The easiest way to record podcasts and videos in studio quality from anywhere, all from your browser. Be sure to check them out at riverside.fm. Welcome back, everyone. As I said earlier, my name is Drew, and I've got Katie in the studio tonight. Say hello to everyone, Katie. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Tonight's topic is going to be about a subject that I know... Uh, affects a lot of us and that is medical gaslighting the kind of doctors and people just dismissing your symptoms as being it's all in your head or you're making it up it's a doozy such a doozy i we talked about that last that they told me it was all in my head it was psychosomatic and for a second there i really did believe the same thing i was mad at myself i was like what's wrong with you Get it together! But then you kind of slowly realize that, hey, maybe it's not just me. No. No, not really. Uh, definitely not just me. But it's really funny that medical professionals can make patients feel like they're imagining symptoms and that it's, you know, we go to them expecting a level of professionalism expecting to be able to trust them and their opinions and when it feels like it's just thrown in your face it's not only a slap but it's really a hey i don't really care about you i'm just here for a paycheck yeah pretty much so i i thought we'd kind of share some experiences we both have had with medical gaslighting so uh go ahead and take it away i think the biggest the biggest one that bothered me was when I traveled to another state to get medical care at a facility that was supposed to be the leading like researchers in my disease and they run the international foundation so for me I was like I'm gonna get somebody that actually listens to me so I go in there with my mother-in-law because they're in the area and they were helping me out and he walks in the room and I could just tell, I could just tell that it wasn't gonna be a positive experience. So he sits down and we start talking. And again, he focuses on the nutritional deficiency side and he just completely dismisses all of the tests that I have brought showing that I have the antibodies for this disease, showing that I have the disease and asking for help. He just is like, no, I'm not even gonna pay attention to that. And he's doing some sort of test where he's testing my strength. Um, if you're not familiar with any form of neuropathy, you don't got no strength. <laughs> you're like a little kitten that's just been born and has no eyes open. You have no coordination, no dexterity, no reflexes. Um, it's sometimes hard for me to lift my daughter from certain positions. So 
he's pushing against me and obviously stronger than me. And at one point he looks at me and he goes, are you even trying? It's like you don't even want to get better. I just stared at him because I was very shocked at that statement because I'm like, you should know you're a neurologist. People with neuropathy don't have any strength. Why would this be surprising to you? My mother-in-law sitting there trying not to murder the man. Um, so it didn't end very well. I felt very dismissed. Um, he didn't listen to anything I had to say and it felt like he had an opinion of me when he walked into the room. Maybe he saw my piercings and tattoos and thought that I was faking it or whatever, but he really had a judgment decided before even speaking to me. And I had literally relocated myself to another state, which costs money, and was by myself without my spouse and caregiver, and I just had my service dog at the time, by myself, in a city that has millions of people and I'm like I literally moved here to get treatment and you're gonna tell me that I'm not trying to get better that's kind of a load of crap if I've ever heard of one that's my biggest gaslighting moment I think just because of all the time and the effort that I spent to get there and all of the hype that was pushed into this facility for it to just be a total like waste of time it was so disappointing not only for me but for my spouse for my spouse's family for my family and for everybody that has been rooting for me it's like we really thought that we were gonna get something from this and we got nothing yeah in fact you got quite the opposite yes yeah yeah i left feeling like wow another doctor that has no idea like great yeah pretty much you know I, I feel like you know with this heart con with this heart condition that I have I'm I've been to the ER a whole lot uh and I feel like you were just in the ER yeah, just, oh my god I've been <laughs> in the hospital twice in the last week uh yeah hospitalized even not just in the ER it, ER visits in the last two weeks, uh, I would say probably about four. Uh, and I feel like 50% of the time that I go to the ER, they are really, really dismissive of my symptoms. And one of the symptoms that I have a lot is chest pain. And I feel like 50% of the time, they're just like, no, we're not going to give you anything. Because whatever reason they happen to uh, come up with. Uh, I know a couple of weeks ago, I had gone into the emergency room for the same thing. And and I, I remember reading the notes afterwards in the app that I have that allows me to read all of those things. And I was looking at the notes and the notes was like, the patient want, is insisting to be, uh, uh, insisting to be uh, admitted to the hospital, but we don't see any need to. But then it, it was really funny because literally the next day, I went to a different ER and they're like, oh, we need to admit you. And I'm like, what? Why? <laughs> I, I don't, I, I don't understand wh why they were like, oh, this patient doesn't need to be admitted. And then I go to a different ER and they're like, oh yeah, we need to admit you. And oh, well, we're going to cardiovert you. We're going to shock your heart back into normal rhythm, which thankfully 
was helpful and it worked for about a little over a week. And then I go right back into a different rhythm. Usually it's atrial flutter, but this time it was atrial fibrillation with something called RVR or rapid ventricular rate where the ventricles in my heart are actually beating at like 300 beats per, beats per minute. It's absolutely wild. Uh, that and sounds absolutely yeah. unpleasant. Yeah, it's really uncomfortable, really painful usually. Um, but yeah, 50% of the time they just completely dismiss the chest pain part of it. And they're like, oh, we need to get your rate under control. Oh, your rate's under control, except that it's really not. It still bounces up and down and it's really painful. And they're like, okay, we're gonna let you go. Just follow up with your primary care doctor. I'm like, well, my primary care doctor has no power over this. Like, what, 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 what do you want them to do? They're not specialists, they're not, you know, they're general practice they handle like common colds and anxiety they don't handle heart conditions that's kind of like your thing you know <laughs> yeah exactly and the good the good news is i do have a third heart surgery scheduled for next wednesday which is it's a little it's it's a little uh nerve-wracking having to go in for a third heart surgery and there is still the prospect of needing a fourth but, you know, the, the good news is that I'm having it done and it's, I only have to wait till Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, the, it's a double-edged sword with that kind of thing, because I was just talking about the fact with my friend and you um, in that blog post that we're supposed to be thankful for these treatments, but they end up making us more miserable half of the time, or we're sicker, and it's just like... How much more is this gonna take from me? Like, how much can I, you know, how like, what's the bar it's setting itself at? And if, can I take it? Yeah, I find myself constantly just asking myself that question. How much more of this can I realistically take before I just completely explode? Right, because it's, it's constant, it's chronic, it's, there is a thought and a process of thinking where it seems like for somebody who's, you know, normal, per se, like, what's the definition of normal? But let's say they don't have any significant health issues. They're healthy. They have 20-20 vision. They can hear. They might get a headache every now and then, but they take some ibuprofen and it takes it away. Cool. Might have broken a bone a couple times in their life, but they've never really experienced a level of pain that somebody with a chronic illness who or somebody who has chronic pain has. They don't have that capacity. It always goes into this gaslighting like statements or these backhanded compliments like, wow, you're so strong. I couldn't deal with that every day. Or, oh my gosh, how do you live like that? And it's just like, as opposed to what? Yeah. Dying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is the what is the option I have here? Like I, I have to deal with it and I have to make peace with it. And that itself is a very, very complicated process. Yeah, I think my favorite one, especially with like chronic pain, especially is being being treated like a drug addict, being treated like a drug seeker. Exactly. And it's just like, no, I, like I'm letting you know that like this happened to me with my old pain doctor. Him and I did not get along. 
he was low-key like super sexist when we were in the room he would only talk to my husband and address my husband even though he was discussing my care he would only look at him even if he was talking to me and I'm just like hello <laughs> I'm your patient you know like I might be female but I'm very educated just like you are like hey you know and um he ended up like being so condescending about medical cannabis that him and I like literally fought in appointments like went back and forth with raised voices because I was like I have a medical card like you can't tell me no <laughs> like you can't and he'd be like well and I'm like well what like there's no <laughs> I don't understand like we're just we're just going in a circle here you're continually gaslighting me and telling me that my symptoms aren't real or they're from something else and you're continuously not speaking to me in appointments about my own care so I feel like you don't even care about my care and you're just here to collect my Medicaid and Medicare and I feel like you know the 50% of the time that I Go, end up going into the ER and they're like we don't we're just going to discharge you you're fine I feel like that's what kind of their train of thought is, is this guy's in the ER so much we think he's just you know seeking pain medication well it's like it's like well I mean you're right but not for the reasons that you think you're right yeah like it's not because I'm a drug addict or I'm abusing this medication because I'm in constant pain this is how I explain my pain to people because it's a concept that they don't seem to understand especially with something like nerve pain which I'm sure cardiac pain is just as intense um, nerve pain is rumored to be one of the worst and uh, you can imagine your body being literally lit on fire the way I explain it is, if you've ever had a limb fall asleep, you know that sensation when you it's waking up, that like almost burning sensation that sometimes is pretty painful. And you're like shaking it like, oh my god, you know, wake up, ah, or massaging it. I've had that happen before, before I had CIDP, and I've always been like, ow, ow, ow. That is literally my body times like a thousand, 24-7. There's no escaping it. I can't just shut it off. There are either good days or bad days. And what I mean by good day is it's enough that I can function with the pain. It doesn't mean that the pain goes away. It just means that it's at a level that I can somewhat ignore it to function. But there are days you can ask, you know, we plan to have some of our caretakers come in and talk in future episodes but you can ask him anytime my husband will tell you there are days where you can't touch me you can't even get near me I can't even wear certain types of fabrics even though I buy softer fabrics there's just some days where I can't even wear some of the clothes that I have in my closet because I am so sensitive that even brushing against something that might be rough makes me cry. And those are my bad days. But because people see me as such an inspiration or as such a happy person, they seem to forget the struggle 
that not only me, but you and other disabled people and other mentally ill people who are considered disabled as well, you know, like there's this whole stigma between separating all of us too, and I don't like that. I think that mental illness is also a disability. It's a disability of the brain. It's been proven that way scientifically, so they are disabled too, but we should not have to live in fear of talking about the way that we feel. It should be considered negative for us to express that we're in pain. I think one of my one of my favorite analogies is that, you know, you wouldn't tell a cancer patient that their cancer is all in their head. You wouldn't tell a cancer patient, oh, you're fine. Just cheer up a little bit, you know. Yes. Oh my gosh. I actually have the equivalent of lifelong cancer, so. I told my mom that uh, your condition is worse than cancer. It's honestly, like, uh, as he just said, he told his mother that uh, my condition can be zombie. Like, it's worse than cancer because there is a possibility with a lot of cancers that it can be cured and it can go into remission. For me, there's no possibility of that, but I receive chemotherapy just like a cancer patient, without the radiation, of course, but I receive the same medications that somebody with cancer has. So I, I, I love that example, but it seems to me that there's also a stigma around cancer because cancer is like the only recognized illness, it seems like. And it's, it's not to diminish anything that, you know, I have a very, very close, close friend who had cancer and she beat it and she's freaking awesome and such a warrior. Um, but when you think of chemotherapy, you think of cancer and that's not always the case. Like the chemotherapy is also used for many other diseases, including multiple sclerosis, uh, MS, which is the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, wow, just say the abbreviation and think it's something different, but CIDP and other neuropathy disorders, like it's not just that disease that's treated that way. And I think it, it's got to be opened because um, there should be just as many charities for all of these other diseases as there are for... Yeah, absolutely. And you hit the nail on the head. There's such a big divide between visible and invisible disabilities where you know somebody sees me park in a, a handicapped spot and they don't understand that i can't walk very far without you know, just completely losing my breath and that's why i have a handicap placard and they're like oh you're fine you're not disabled and it's like just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist you know, it's really, it's awful, and I hate that that has happened to you as well. People see me. And you know, in the majority of my videos on my creating platform, and I'm right here sitting, obviously, I'm sitting down. And I do, I am able to stand, you know, and I am able to, you've seen me walk, it's very awkward, and it doesn't look very right. It looks kind of pitiful. But, you know, it, but I can't do it for very long. Like you said, you can't walk for very long. So, you know, us walking into a store, for us, that's like walking five miles. You know, people don't understand that for us, it's like way harder for to do, you know, I've been forbidden, I guess, to do dishes because there's been instances where I've taken my walker and sat down and literally had a seizure just doing dishes. And I've just been like, really? 
this is ridiculous. But then at the same time, I'm like, I want people to see that because I want them to see the struggle that we do go through. And I want it to be seen as not resiliency because that word has lost some of its meaning because it's used to describe disabled or those with invisible illnesses so much. We're resilient. And it's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to be resilient. I don't want to be strong. I don't want to have this. Like, I want you to be, I want you to validate me. You know, this took so much from me personally with my disease. It took my independence for one. Like, I want you to validate that for me because my disease is like a cage. Like, I can't go anywhere. You know, people don't want to hang out with me because they know I'm going to have a seizure and that's upsetting to them. You know, it's, people don't want to see me in public because, you know, I might have a seizure. And it might be upsetting for them. You know, never mind what I feel like or what it's like for me. And then, and, you know, it goes all back to the fact that we can't have fun and we're supposed to stay inside and do nothing. Yeah, I, I, I hate that trope so much. Yes, we're not allowed to have any entertainment. We're not allowed to have any fun. You know, it's almost as if they think we're just robots. Like, we don't enjoy music, we don't enjoy video games, we don't read, we're not in school or anything like that. Like, oh my gosh, it's a disabled person. We gotta talk slow and loud. I'm like... Oh my god, that's that's another trope that I hate so much. Can you understand me? Like, yes. Did I indicate to you that I was slow? Did I indicate to you that I'm deaf? Which, I mean, I'm almost deaf. So, to me, like, I read lips. But, like, if you just walk up to me and assume that because I'm in a wheelchair, that's very rude, number one. And even if I was like that, how dare you? Who are you to go up to somebody and diminish what they go through because you have some weird idea that you have the right? You know what happens when you make an assumption? You make an ass out of you and umption. Uh, my papa used to say of you and me. Make an ass out of you and me. And I, that's true though. It's just like, if you assume something about somebody, you know, it's just like, the only thing I can think of, and this is gonna be like TW for like, raunchiness. <laughs> Before I was dating my husband, I was on POF. And I have pink hair. And this guy messages me and he says, you have pink hair, you must like anal. So that's like, it's like, that correlation is like, I was like, okay, first of all, how does pink hair correlate with this? Like, where's your like evidence here? Give me some like PowerPoints or something. Cause I'm not understanding this. That's like the correlation that I see when people are like looking at disabled people having any sort of entertainment or pleasure in their life. Versus, like, what they think disabled people should do. I was And I'm not, like, what correlation is this? I was not this? aware that having <laughs> pink hair meant that. Where? I know, I was just like, uh, you know, my hair is pink because pink is my favorite color. Um, just so we're clear. Um, first of all, and like, what? why would that be your opening statement, number two? Yeah, that's not a very good pick of line. No, no, it's not. I was just like... <laughs> Block. 
yeah pretty much yeah yeah you know it's just it it was it did not get a response from me but it's just like those kinds of comments and ignorance is what is applied to the disabled community and if you, they just took a little bit of time to understand like it's it, it's a double-edged sword for us because if it's something that they're interested in they'll spend hours researching it right but because it doesn't affect them personally they don't really care about us i think the coronavirus really showed us that yeah i have a lot of opinions about that yeah, so that's a whole other episode. That's, <laughs> no. that's like a whole different <laughs> podcast entirely. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, it just, I'm just to say that it just, it's just to say that it really showed me that the lack of humanity and it blew me away, really, how prevalent it was. Not only here, but across the world, like, People complaining that they actually had to like do something selfless to protect somebody who can't do something and it's just mind-blowing to even think like that because I don't think that way I'm like it's a vaccine who cares we get so many of them I understand the science behind vaccines what the heck does it hurt you know and now I'm protected by that herd immunity. So I'm like, you not doing it puts me at more risk. Makes it so that I can't leave the house. Makes it so that I'm stuck because you don't care about anyone but yourself. Like there's a lack of compassion and selflessness everywhere. And it's a problem. There really is. And I think, yeah, that kind of goes to the heart of the topic uh, in question, which is medical gaslighting, I think. Gaslighting, yeah. There's a lot of ignorance even even within the medical professional community. There's a lot of people not willing to do the research on something that they don't really have an idea about, like per se my disease, which is like one in one hundred thousand globally, which is a very rare disorder to contract. Ah, uh, you know, when I got pregnant, I wasn't supposed to get pregnant. And the doctor did not do his research. So when he cleared me for pregnancy, he put my life at risk. Pregnancy, yeah, increases the effects of CIDP. Basically, it's like double time. So like, you know, toil and trouble double. Um, so basically, I was incurring twice the damage that I would be if I was not pregnant. And I also went through six months without treatment during my second and third trimester, which almost killed me because of insurance issues. So that whole process is like, you didn't care enough to do your research about something that you weren't really, really an expert on. And you wouldn't be an expert on it because it is so rare. So I would expect you to have the motivation as a medical professional to consult with either your colleagues or, you know, your medical books to find out more about this and be like, hey, maybe I should look this up because it is so rare. You know, as a medical professional, that's what I would do. I'd be like, you know, this isn't my expertise. This is really rare. I should probably read up on this and get the facts before I make an opinion. But he didn't do that and ended up putting not only my life at risk, but my child's life at risk. What if I had died and Leia had died? Like he would literally be liable for that. Yeah, literally. 
And yeah, exactly. And if, you know, he didn't think, you know, that he didn't really think that through. And then when we went to confront him, he had already left the practice. I mean, that's probably a good thing. That is a great thing because a lot of his patients were complaining that they weren't being taken care of. But at the same time, it's like, great. So you're not going to be held accountable for all of the patients that you literally gaslighted and did not listen to. And those that you put at risk because you did not listen to them or did not do your research. You just left them high and dry to figure out what to do. Because he didn't tell anybody he was leaving the practice. So all of his patients had to be reallocated to the rest of the doctors. Yeah, which just puts more stress on them and puts more stress on the system. And And the patient because we have to describe to a new doctor something that shouldn't have to be described. Yeah. And... You brought up a really uh, interesting subtopic, which is insurance, insurance companies, and even Medicaid thinking that they're smarter than the doctors. Yes, the whole pre-authorization process. Oh my! It's God. so delightful. If I <laughs> never have to hear the phrase "prior authorization" uh, ever again, my life would be complete. But. And I have such a long history. When we were in private insurance, they literally did not want to pay for any of my treatments. And they required an authorization for, like, everything. And we'd spend, like, three months fighting them just to get one treatment. So it was so sporadic that my health was just, like, up and down and up and down. Like a roller coaster. And I was, like, we were to the point where, like, we were pulling our hair out because we would be calling them, like... Do you not understand how, like, life-threatening this is for you guys not to jump on the ball? And they'd be like, we'll put it on an emergency status. They treated it like it was something trivial. Like, it was like I was calling in because my iPhone screen broke or something. I'm like, no, do you realize that without this treatment, I could literally die? Like, if this disease hits my cardiac system and takes the nervous system out of what do you think is going to happen? If it doesn't have a nervous system to do the things it do, it's not going to pump. It's going to shut down. I'm done. So for you to take it as a trivial, as something as trivial as like, they put the wrong syrup in your coffee this morning at Starbucks. It's awful. It's another form of gaslighting in the medical world. It's just insurance medical gaslighting. And it's on a whole other level. Yeah. It really is. I actually, I lost a very, very good friend to exactly that problem. Uh, my buddy Bobby, t 12 years ago, he he died um, very suddenly. Uh, when he was when he was 13, he had to get a heart transplant, and as anybody who knows anybody who has gotten a tran an organ transplant knows. When you get an organ transplant, especially a heart transplant, you have to take a whole bunch of immunosuppressive drugs and and they make sure that your body doesn't reject the organ that is uh, transplanted. And so when he got a basically minimum wage job at a, uh, a dispensary that we both worked at, the second he got that job, uh, Medicaid actually cut him off of his immunosuppressive drugs, which, which were basically a quarter million dollars a year. And he went without those drugs for an entire week. 
and it literally, it literally did kill him, uh, 12 years ago. Like, that's, that shouldn't have happened. Like, the medical system should not have failed him that way, and insurance is a part of that. This whole privatized idea that it's for money, and these insurance companies are putting money into the back pockets of people making these policies that affect us, and it's just like, it's not our fault that we are sick. We did not do anything to have these. We didn't, like, murder somebody and then got a disease or anything like that. I mean, I'm sure there are people out there that have done that. But, you know, there's an exception in everything. But for the majority of people, like, to see a world that is saying such petty comments as, well, I'm not sick, so why do I have to deal with it? It's just so disheartening because it's like, do you think I want to deal with this? Do you think I want to wake up every morning feeling this way? Because it's not great, but I still do it. Like, let's see you do what I have to do just to survive and see how you feel. And then be treated like a pariah just because you have, you know, some special accommodations. Oh my god, you're bringing your service dog with you? Yeah, exactly. My service dog is a big accommodation that people are so uprooted for. Like, I will bring him somewhere and people will be giving me dirty looks the entire time. Even after they've seen my service dog come to my aid during a seizure and help me through an episode, they're like, why does she have a dog in here? There was a bar that we went to with my, my one of my previous service companions. And uh, this bar was not wheelchair accessible. It was too tiny because, and it also had two steps that I would have to go up with my wheelchair that were not permissible. So I used, at that time, my dog was big enough that I could use them as basically forearm crutches so I would put my knee or my legs on either side of him and as he moved his hips would propel my legs forward so it was taking the pressure off of my legs so they wouldn't really give out as long so it helped me a little bit um and then I would get to where I would need to go it was a small bar so we were like it'll be fine and he was completely well behaved was doing exactly what he was supposed to do I didn't have my ID with him because I'm not required to have it. I mean, you know, we had him, but it was not with me at that time. You know, and it, he had his vest on, I had his leash, everything was kosher. She asks me to leave and tells me that I can't have a dog in here. So I say, no, you can't tell me that it's a service animal. Like legally you have to allow it because I need my service animal. She says, well, this is a restaurant, we can't have dogs in here, so you're going to need to provide documentation that you have a disability and that you need this service dog. And I'm just sitting there like, that's literally illegal. Like, you can't ask me for that. And, like, literally every single patron in that bar was shooting death glares at me and my husband. To the point where we felt so uncomfortable and like unsafe and unwelcome that we did end up leaving and I sobbed the entire way home. And it was your birthday. And it was my birthday. So I just wanted to go sing. It was my birthday. Nobody had shown up to my party that day. I had already been upset. So Corey was like, let's go out and karaoke anyway. 
and then you can play pool with me in between songs and was really trying to make it a better night for me and that just broke me a little bit and I sobbed and I said I really hate being in a wheelchair and being sick. I'm so tired of being sick because I feel like I have been treated worse as a sick person than I have ever been treated. Even as a a heavier person when I was almost four pounds I had people yelling out the window at me like the walking's not helping you stupid cow and things like that but like for some reason it hurts worse because I'm like I'm sick yeah it's like I didn't choose to have three different heart conditions. Yeah, we uh, we had a friend actually in that bar situation who posted because he was so upset by the way that I was treated. He posted a review on their page and was like, you treated my friend like crap. This is what you did to her. You're not allowed to demand paperwork from her. They literally admitted on this Google review that they demanded my paperwork. <laughs> and then we're like, you shouldn't say lies about us. And I'm like, you literally just admitted it in the paragraph that you're telling me not to say lies in. Yeah. So restaurant owners, uh, well, not just restaurants, but any any business where you have uh, public availability, people coming from the public, the only two questions you are allowed to ask about a service animal is, is it a service animal? What function do they perform? That's it. That's it. Exactly. How do they help you? Then I would have said, he's a seizure alert dog. And that's the end of the conversation. Literally. I should not have to provide documentation of my disability. Number one. Number two, I had been there several times. So they knew that I was in a wheelchair and I had a hard time getting around. They knew I had a service animal. And I had broached the subject with them several times because one weekend we were there, there were two random little dogs running around that got into my lap. They were not service animals. So I was like, oh, cool. This is a spot where I can bring my service animal that I'm not gonna get judged because they just let random dogs in here. Okay, so I'm like, okay, so you're gonna let some random strangers dogs who doesn't have a disability in here, but my service animal who's in, who is trained and has been incredibly good the entire time. She even said that in the review comment. She said he was very well behaved. Well, duh, he's a service animal. Mind blown. Yeah. It just like reading that comment because you know, when we respond to things, we're very eloquent. Both Corey and I are very eloquent. Corey is my husband, just, just to be sure. <laughs> um, and we don't cuss, you know, unless you get me to the level where I'm that angry, but I, you know, we don't cuss usually. We're just like, this is wrong. Yeah. Like, this is not right. You're not acting right. You're not respecting me. You know, we first there's boundaries for, so for them to like literally be like, well, the dog was really well behaved. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like. Really? <laughs> so you admit the dog was well behaved. You admit... <sighs> mm. That you asked me for documentation, which is completely illegal. And then you say that I'm lying and just trying to get people not to go to your place. And I'm like, no. No, I just want them to know that if you're disabled, you're just gonna be like, literally death stared until you leave. Yeah, I mean... What they did is probably grounds for a lawsuit, and 
you'd probably be looking at like $20,000. It's just like, I'm not that type of person. You know, I don't have this like tit for tat. Like, I don't want to take away your business from you. I just want the ability to, to come to it. Yeah. Without being treated any different. I'm a paying customer too, and I would have spent money in your bar. I would have bought drinks for me and my husband, and I would have, you know, sang and danced and been with your patrons, but you took that away by being ignorant and not knowing your laws. Because I've literally brought my service dog into the Cheesecake Factory and he has sat underneath my legs like he's supposed to and not made a sound. And it has never been an issue. We have been to several restaurants with my service animal and several stores where it has never been an issue. You know, and they have a bright vest on. It's not like we're going in there with a dog with, you know, like a chihuahua. My current service dog is an Australian Shepherd. He's fairly, he's not like super big but he's a medium-sized dog so it's just like if you if you're gonna hold me to a standard then you need to hold your healthy customers to a standard as well yeah because i mean it literally is discrimination under the ada exactly you discriminated against me because i needed a service dog like so, sorry that i have seizures and sometimes i don't sense them coming fast enough and my animal does like, sometimes seizure dogs are not there to really alert. They're there to help the person through the seizure. So, first of all, don't interrupt the service dog, please. That can be talked about later, but please don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> interrupting, interrupting a service dog's duties is not only illegal, it's extremely dangerous. We have a story for that, so when we do discuss that in further episodes, please remind me, because it did happen to me, and my dog almost got killed. Oh, that's good. So, yes. Yeah, I was a really great experience. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure you were ecstatic <laughs> about that one. Oh my god, yes. One of the best experiences of my life, let me tell you. <laughs> so many things, so many episodes. So do we have anything else we want to say about specifically the gaslighting that happens to us in the medical system, be it insurance or actual doctors? I think we've pretty much gone over everything that I was wanting to go over. And I, I you know, I, I think I have one final thing to say is just, you know, if you're, if you're listening to this, do some research, do some research, do like five minutes of Googling and learn yourself yes. about some disabilities. And when there's things like Google Scholar around that are completely free, you can go into scholarly reviewed articles and scientific papers that will give you the actual information. Like, don't just Google it. Like, take the time, especially if you have somebody in your life that does have a disability. Like, that will mean the world to them for you to take the time to kind of research what they're going through. Because that, to them, shows them that you actually care. And you're not just brushing it aside like the rest of everyone else does to us, even in our medical community. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's especially true if you, if you have someone in your life that has a disability whether it's visible or invisible do some research on it and if you have questions if there are things that you're curious about as long as you're respectful about it just ask because you know i'm more than happy 
to share with anybody, you know, how my disabilities affect me. And I'm, you know, as, as long as you ask me nicely and you're not, you know, a jerk about it, you know, we can sit down and have an hours long conversation about it. I'm not above that. I think you just uh, gave us our next topic because I was thinking we should discuss next time what not to say and what you can say and, you know, our experiences with that because, you know, it's all in the way you ask. You know, if you come up to somebody and you say, why can you stand if you're in a wheelchair? That's not the way to ask me why I'm in a wheelchair. Maybe be like, oh my God, your wheelchair is so awesome. May I ask what your disability is? So that's that's a little uh, taste of next week. <laughs> yes, there's a, there's a big difference between genuinely curious and condescendingly curious. Exactly. So we will definitely be going into that. Did we have anything else tonight? No, I think that is going to wrap things up for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Breaking the Stigmas. Make sure to visit our website, breakingthestigmas.org, where you can learn more about us as well as subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss a future episode. It's important. And if you liked this show, please leave us a like or comment on whatever platform you're on and be sure to tune in next week as we continue our journey into the world of disability. We love you all already and we will see you next week. Thank you.